Hey there, friends. Welcome back to the third season of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. If you haven't already done it, go ahead and click that subscribe button. We hope that you'll check us out also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok and find out more about content. Of course, we encourage you to also check out the website at rayreynoldsrap.com. We hope you enjoy today's program. You've asked and we've answered. We're excited to announce today that we are launching the series that was conducted at the Rocky Creek Church of Christ on the topic of revival. Uh, There are five of the six that were recorded uh, that you will find here and over the next few podcasts and hope that you enjoy these. Uh, Certainly were well received and I enjoyed being able to present them to the congregation. The one that is missing is the one on reviving our study. And so we talked about being able to revive our uh, Bible study life and being able to put Bible class first when we come to church on Sundays and Wednesdays as well. Uh, The other sermons uh, in this series will include reviving our worship Uh, reviving our fellowship, reviving our homes, reviving our faith, hope, and love, and then finally reviving our spirit. So we hope you enjoy this five-lesson series as a part of Ray Reynolds' rap. Well, good evening, church. Good to see all of you here tonight. It's uh, such a blessing to be able to come together uh, for the Lord's family to be together on Sunday, and I love that we keep coming back every opportunity to be here on Sunday night and through this week for this gospel meeting. And uh, you have certainly encouraged me in our time together today, and I hope that hopefully I can encourage you tonight and through this week. I want to just real quickly highlight uh, what we're going to be talking about for the rest of the gospel meeting tomorrow night. We're going to talk about reviving our homes and our families and things that we can do as parents, as children, grandparents to really help our young people and to help ourselves, our families uh, together. And then on, uh, that's Monday night, Tuesday night, we're going to be talking about how to revive our faith, hope, and love from 1 Corinthians 13, and uh, how we need to be strengthened in our faith, to recognize hope, that's my favorite Bible word, by the way, and then having great love for one another. And then on the last night, we're going to talk about reviving our spirit and recognizing things that we can do to be more in tune with God's will personally. And so I hope that you'll come back for each of those opportunities. Tonight, I want to talk about fellowship. I want to talk about what it means when the church family gets together. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? If you have your Bibles, open up to Acts chapter 4. And I want to read a few verses here towards the end of the chapter, Acts 4, beginning at verse 32. And while you're turning there, uh, if you were to ask people, just survey a random people, what do you think of when you think of a Christian? Uh, This has been done many times over. I've done this before in, in statistics uh, working on a school project. I put it out there for all the people that I could on Facebook. And I asked them, if, when you think of a Christian, what's the one word that you think of? Now, what would y'all tell me? What's something you think of when you hear the word Christian? Sorry? Jesus. What? Jesus. Jesus. What else? Faithful. Love. Faithful. Faithfulness. Christ-like. Yes, Christ-like. Absolutely. What else? Patience. What's this? Patience. Patience. Fruit of the Spirit. What's that? Yes, a disciple. Those are great Bible words, and those are things that we think of when we think of what it means to be a Christian. But when you ask people outside of the church, non-Christians, about what they think a Christian looks like, acts like, do you think the definitions are the same? Mm -hmm. Absolutely not. In fact, many people who are not Christians are unsure 
how to really characterize someone who is a New Testament Christian. And you might hear a whole host of other words that people will say, and we won't get into all that. But we'll talk about the fact that as a child of God, the stuff we mentioned first is what we want. This is what we want when people talk about what's it like at the Rocky Creek Church of Christ? What's it like for you out in the community in Loosedale or wherever you may live? Where, where are we and what are we doing and how do people view us as children of God? And maybe this will help because these are things that if we did together as a fellowship, as a church family, it would impact everybody on the outside. And so I want to share with you seven things that I think will help us grow in our fellowship together. And we're going to take this from our text in Acts chapter 2, or in Acts chapter 4. To give you a little background, the church was established, Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost. Some time has gone by until Acts chapter 4, where the church was starting to really grow. They were reaching people, they were preaching. Peter and John are on the steps of the temple. They're meeting in houses, and they're starting to try to figure out what to do if they want to exemplify Christ everywhere they go. And so they're talking about Jesus. They're talking about Jesus every single day. So listen here. It says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, Neither did anyone say any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands and houses or sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed them to each as anyone had need. Now, I want you to notice this last part of the story because we're going to have to highlight him again in this series. It says, And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having <coughs> land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. His uh, insert here, this little this highlight that Dr. Luke gives us about this man is going to be very important when we move on through the rest of the book. This is the guy, Barnabas, who is constantly helping other ministers. He's a, he's a guy who's helping uh, fund Paul's ministry. He's the one that recalls Paul to be able to help the mission work. And so this is a really good guy. But I want you to notice some of the things that they say about this group of people. It says also this in chapter 2, that they saw people were all together. Did you see that? All together in one accord. The church ought to be known for being united, not divided. Amen. We're united. We stand firm on the same things. We struggle together. And we serve together. And so we understand that in doing this, it's going to take an extra lot, an extra, you know, if you will, a little bit more uh, from us. We're going to have to try a little bit harder and so one of the things that we need to do is we need to think about forgiving other people, all right? I want you to look with me, if you will, in Matthew chapter 6 and verses 14 and 15. Matthew chapter 6, 14 through 15. If we want to be a strong fellowship, if we want to be a strong church, we've got to forgive one another. Jesus says, yes, this is Matthew 6. 14, yes, if you forgive others of their sins, your Father in heaven will also forgive you of your sins. But if you do not forgive others of their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, we want revival in the church today, don't we? Amen? Amen. We, want, we want to see some fire. We want to see it in the pulpit. We want to see it in the lives of our fellow believers. We want to be able to see joy restored to the New Testament church. 
And if we want that, Jesus is giving us a prescription of how to do it in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 with the Sermon on the Mount. And one of the things he talks about frequently is forgiveness. Now, if you know the context of Matthew chapter 6, you know he just gave the model prayer, right? The Lord's Prayer. And he says in there, let us forgive others of their debts as you as the Lord forgives our debts. So there is a, there is a specific request to be forgiven but there's also a part of that forgiveness that depends on what we do about it. Now, I've sinned. Anybody else sin? We've made some mistakes. We want forgiveness, right? We want to know that the blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse us from all sin. We want to know, as we said this morning, that he's going to separate our sins as far as the east is from the west and bury them in the depth of the sea and blot them out, remember them no more. We want that. Well, church, if we want to have forgiveness, we've got to be a people that's forgiving. Amen. We have got to learn to forgive other people. Do they deserve it? No, of course they don't. Some people sin against us intentionally. You've probably had friends betray you, your confidence. They've said things about you. You've had people gossip about you. Am I right? We've had these things happen to us. And we've had people do some things to us so dirty, so nasty, so awful, that we say, I don't know that I'll ever be able to forgive that person. You say, well, Ray, it is tough. It's tough for me. You don't know what they did. No, I don't. But I know what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross. And if Jesus was willing to forgive me on my worst day, then I suppose I need to learn to be more like him and forgive others on their worst day. Amen. At the cross, he looks down off the cross and he says, Father, what? Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This is the part of living a Christian life, resembling Christ in the world. And recognizing that because somebody has done something to you is not because they don't like you. It's not because you, they absolutely hate your guts and they want to make you pay a price. Sometimes people are ugly and rude and hateful and do all those terrible things because they have a rotten soul. They have things going on inside their life. You and I are supposed to bring light to the world. We're supposed to be the salt of the earth. We're supposed to be the kind of people that people should be attracted to. I don't know. This friend I have is just so bubbly and happy and joyful. And I, that's the person I want to be around. Well, we ought to be that person. Full of joy, full of love. And one of those things is the spirit of forgiveness. Learning to forgive people. Because as Jesus said, if you want to be forgiven, you have to forgive other people. So the second thing is that we need to help others. We need to help others. If you notice there in Acts chapter 2, it says that they didn't see anything as the, their own possession, but they shared everything that they had together. And one of the reasons, because the church was so small, and in this kind of a setting, uh, they would come together and fellowship and figure out who needed what. Part of that is because as an early Christian living in the first century, they were under persecution. They weren't able to go out into the marketplace. Now, John highlights this a little bit in the book of Revelation. But it is pretty clear that whenever the Christians went to the marketplace, they were unable to get certain, if you will, discounts or prices on things because they did not pay uh, certain tributes to Caesar. In fact, if you know a little bit about church history, one of the things of the seven churches of Revelation is each one of those cities had a temple to a Caesar in it. And they saw Caesar as God. And so whenever the churches are not worshiping or, or offering sacrifices because they only believe in one king, and that's Jesus, there's persecution. So you get persecution in the marketplace. Some of them became a Christian, and they lost their jobs 
as a result of it. And many of them were ostracized from the community because they were born a Jew, they were raised a Jew, and they were supposed to practice Judaism. And so these early Christians gave up everything to say, I want to follow Jesus. So when they came together, they said, what do you need, sister so-and-so, brother so-and-so? How can we help? You know the first real problem, the conflict in Acts chapter 6? You know what it tells us? They were trying to figure out how to feed all their widows. They got together. The church said, what can we do to help? And, and people are saying, we've got some widows that are being neglected. We've got to get some food to them. And so the apostles say, look, we cannot come back into the city and take care of So we need some men. They appoint seven men to be able to do those jobs. But the reason why is because they wanted, genuinely wanted to help each other. Now, James will say, if you see someone in need or you see something that is good, you should do it. To not do it is a sin. And so he says, don't ever say to somebody, be warm and filled. You know, you go, you share, and you help. The golden rule is as clear as can be. Whatever you want men to do to you, you do also to them. This is the law and the prophets. We treat people the way we want to be treated. That goes back to the first point, too, because if we want forgiveness, we also forgive other people. Do you see the standard that Jesus is setting for the church? If you want something, you have to be willing to give it first. If I want mercy, what do I need to do to others? Give mercy. If I want to experience the love and the grace of God, I have to also show those things to other people. And so the early church was a, a place where people felt like they belonged. Have you ever been somewhere before where you just don't feel like you belong? I don't feel like I'm welcome here. You come in, you sit down, and, and you say, I just don't, I just, there's something, I just don't feel right. I don't feel like I'm welcome here. I've had my kids call me before. We have a rule. I don't care where you are and what you've done. If you want to out call me, we'll have a code word, okay? So we, one time one of my boys, he went over to a friend's house, called me immediately. Hey, I need you to come pick me up. No problem. No question. I don't know what was going on. You can tell me if you want to, but get him out of that situation. We want to protect each other. We want to help each other. The church is where you should feel welcome, that you can be yourself, that you can be natural, that you can be real. And you can share together and communicate together in a loving way. Treat people the way you want to be treated. Number three, if we really want to be like the New Testament church and we want to revive our fellowship, we've got to learn reconciliation. Now, this is one of my hobby horses. Do we use, does anybody else use that term? You understand what a hobby horse is? I heard this in preaching when I was a kid and I loved it. Somebody had this little hobby. It really doesn't go anywhere, but you feel just great riding it. It's like the mechanical bull. You know, everybody wants to get on a ride and they can't stay on for eight seconds, let alone two seconds. But when we look at this and we say, I want to be a New Testament Christian, one of the things that was paramount in the early church was the fellowship was so strong that they were willing to talk to each other when there was a problem. Why is this my hobby horse? Because this is one of the areas, if we want to restore New Testament Christianity, we need to be the kind of people that say, hey, you know what? I want to make things right with my brother. I want to be in communion with my brother, with my sister. I want to be able to have great fellowship. And that means if somebody offends me, I don't go and tell somebody else about it. I don't go and run and say, hey, did you hear what so-and-so did to me? Did you hear what so-and-so said to me? You know, did you hear what this? No. In the church, the New Testament church, what we do is we go to one another when we have been offended. Listen to Matthew chapter 18. It says, if your fellow brother or your believer sins against you, go and tell him in private, this is from the New Century Version, what he's doing. Wrong. And if he listens to you, you have helped that person be your brother and sister again. But if he refuses to listen, go take him or take uh, two or three other people with you 
Every case may be proved by two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell the church. If he refuses to listen to the church, then treat him like a person who does not believe in God or like a tax collector. Jesus says there is a pattern. Whenever you have somebody wrong you, you go and speak to them alone. This isn't always what, what is practiced. And then he says, after you've talked to them one-on-one, -on -one, you say, hey, look, I'm going to bring somebody else. It doesn't mean you bring somebody with you that's on your side so you can gang up on them. But it says you go with someone else to make sure every word is said correctly because the next few steps are going to get much more complicated. And so you're going to a brother, to a sister, and you're saying, hey, you've offended me, you've wronged me, you said something wrong to me, and I want to make it right. This is what unity is. This is the face of unity in the church, is that we shouldn't want conflict with each other. I don't want to see you suffer. I don't want to see you hurt. We shouldn't want anyone to suffer or be hurt because of something we've done. So we need to learn to sit down and communicate. We're, my family's Native American, so my mom always used Native American terms. We're Cherokee, although my mom was raised on a Navajo reservation. That's another story. But part of it was my mom would always say, we need a powwow. You know, we need to have a powwow. And I knew then we were in trouble because it usually meant what's Ray done wrong or Dennis done wrong, my brother. And so we would sit down at the table and we would talk about things together. And I love that, that we should be able to do that in the New Testament church. So when you have someone who has offended you, you go to them and you reconcile to gain your brother or your sister. Don't talk about them behind their back. You don't hide from the conflict either. That's tough. Sometimes we say, well, if I say something, I'm going to open a can of worms. Well, go fishing. All right. Open the can of worms and go fishing. And sometimes it's necessary. Number four. If we want to be like the New Testament church and revive our fellowship, we need to share our faith with people. We need to be able to share. You remember at the end there in Jesus' message to them on the Mount of Olives, right before he ascends into heaven, he gives them the Great Commission. And we're probably very familiar with Mark 16, 15 and 16, and Matthew 28, 18 through 20, where Jesus says, uh, you know, specifically, go and, and make followers. Go and make disciples of all the nations. And he says, baptizing them in the, name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he says, teaching them to observe all the things I've commanded you. And Lord, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. His message is, you need to go into the world and you need to share your faith. Now, I mentioned, I think in the class, maybe in the sermon this morning, that that means being a witness. Someone who is saying, this is what God has done for me. Specifically in the New Testament, they were witnesses of miracles and lots of really neat things that Jesus had done. But we also, too, are to bear witness of what Christ has done for us. Share our faith. Now, when the average person, and myself, I was like this for a long time. If you were to ask me, spur of the moment, what are the five steps of salvation? Where passages are they? We might be able to do that, right? Uh, we might have a Bible. In fact, I'm, in many of my Bibles, I mark different things. And I have some Bibles that only have highlighted passages about salvation. And so if I sit down with somebody and I flip it open, it's highlighted right there. And so it's, it's really good to be able to talk to people about the steps of salvation and things like that. But we may not be ready and equipped with a Bible in hand when subjects like our faith come up. So instead, I encourage you to think about the Apostle Paul. What did Paul do? Everywhere Paul went, he told his story. <clears throat> now, here's the funny part to me. Nothing happens by accident, by the way. We understand that in Scripture, stories are there, details are there for us to dissect. Every time you read a Bible story, you're going to learn something new. That word has been there. That phrase has been there. That character has been there. 
and for some reason you've read it 50 times and something is enlightened. You say, wow, I didn't really notice that before. Well, when we begin to see the pattern of the New Testament church and what they did, they told their story. And Paul does that. Dr. Luke tells Paul's story in Acts 9. It takes almost the whole chapter. And so we have the story, but then every time he comes and he has an opportunity to speak before a crowd, whether we're in chapter 22 or in chapter 26 or wherever we are, guess what Paul's doing? He's telling the story over again. Now, why, church? Why would Dr. Luke, why would Luke, a great writer, probably wrote more words in the entire Bible when you line it up? I know Paul has a lot of letters, but Luke has more words. He's written this big book of Luke and this big book of Acts and puts them together as volume one and two. Why would he tell the story of Paul multiple times? We say, well, maybe it's because Paul's speaking and he's just trying to kind of lend a little bit of weight to the message of Paul. But that's not, that's not it, because Paul preached hundreds, maybe thousands of times. So Luke, why is it that you have to include the details of the story over and over and over again? Because it tells you about the character of Paul. And when you read books like Galatians, and when you read him when he's talking to Timothy about being the chief of sinners, when you read those phrases, you put it in context of the book of Acts, he couldn't go anywhere without telling his story. He couldn't go anywhere and talk to any group, Jew, Gentile, brother, sister, heathen. He told his story. So while we may be caught off guard and we can't you know, spit out scripture and we can't really sit down and give book, chapter, and verse, we can start by saying, well, let me tell you about the day I decided to become a Christian. I remember sitting in the pew that Sunday morning, our preacher preached on heaven Sunday morning. The follow-up was on hell on Sunday night. He preaches that sermon on hell on Sunday night. I was 11 years old, and I was scared to death. I heard about the unquenchable fire and the gnashing of teeth, and I was, as 11 year I don't like scary movies. Don't watch them. Y'all can watch them all day long. That's not me. I am, nuh -uh. I still sleep with a nightlight. It's fine. I know I'm grown. But I got, and I got all, and I got, in fact, my phone has been ringing off the wall here. I don't know if you heard it was. That's ADT. So somebody is trying to get in the house without the code. I'll let ADT deal with that. But I get spooked easily, okay? And so I hear this sermon on hell, and I'm scared to death. And I tried to, I tried to leave the pew. We sat towards the back, and I started to make my way out. And my mom grabbed my hand and held and gripped my hand down on that pew because she knew what I was doing. And she said, you're not ready. You're not ready yet. I said, what do you mean I'm not ready yet? You're not ready. You're too young. 11 is way too young. And we'll talk about it when we get home. Well, of course, then I'm upset. And I'm in the car, you know, and I'm saying, I'm ready. I know I'm ready. And she goes, well, you can call your grandpa when you get home. I said, all right, because he'll be on my side. So sure enough, I get home. Three hours have gone by since services have ended. We had a 6 o'clock service, ended at 7. Probably got out of there about 7.30. Three hours later, 10.30 at night, I've got my grandpa on the phone. And uh, I said, Grandpa, I want you to baptize me. He said, well, I'm in South Texas. There's nothing I can do. It's going to take me three days to load up the RV and get to you. And I said, okay, fine, get here. And he goes, are you okay with that? And I said, well, not really. And he said, what do you mean? I said, I really feel like I need to be baptized tonight. And he goes, give the phone back to your mother. And he handed the phone, I handed the phone back to my mom, and my mom goes, all right, get in the car. Because my grandpa told her, if he can't wait until I get there, he's ready now. We had to wake up the preacher, John Henley, little Oklahoma, little Church of Christ, a little building. 
I went in there at 11 o'clock at night and was baptized into Christ. And I remember coming up out of that water. I was going to be 12 soon. But I came out of that water. I was so excited. He gave me a book by Nils Donnell. It was called Not the Same Old Me. And it had one half the page black and one half yellow. And the man was switched inverted in color. And I thought that was the coolest thing. So I went to school the next day on Monday with my Bible in hand and with my book in hand. And I told people, so I became a Christian last night. And they're like, okay, <laughs> you know, we know you go to church. I said, no, you don't understand. I was baptized. And they're like, okay, great. And so some of my friends were like, well, that's a little weird. You shouldn't talk about that so much. I said, but I'm pretty excited because I was baptized into Christ. Now, most all of you are, are looking at me and you're paying attention to that. You know why? Because that's a story. And we're attracted to stories. We love storytellers. And even if the story isn't that good, if a story's being told, we're listening for a punchline or listening for a climax in the story, we are basically created to tell story. That's the reason why the Bible's given to us in books and stories of characters and not all rules and laws. If we want to grow the New Testament church, we need to do better about telling our story to people. May not remember book, chapter, and verse, but we can remember the day that we decided to become a New Testament Christian. And that's what people need to hear. It's because they're not going to connect to the Bible if they've never read it before. But they can connect to you, and they will listen to your story. The most effective evangelist in many congregations is not the preacher. It's the person who has become more comfortable with telling what they did to become a New Testament Christian. And when you get comfortable doing that and you talk about your faith out in public, it will not only revive you, it will revive others. Because they say, man, I wish I had the boldness. I wish I had the courage. But that's what we need today to be like the New Testament church. Number five, we need to respect others. Respect others. Now, there's a text in Mark chapter 9, in verse 50, that says, Salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. I, I know that this is kind of implied in scripture, but understand that we should treat one another with honor and dignity and respect and that we have integrity present in our lives. We, we shouldn't look down on each other regardless of what somebody's gone through. You may have heard the story about the, uh, the, the, the guy who came forward every single gospel meeting, came forward and sat on the front pew Every meeting, every single time, and the preacher, who didn't know him very well, took his response, and there was a sister sitting next to him who would also responded to the invitation, and he said, Lord, Lord, I want the Lord to fill me up. Pray that the Lord fill me up. And the sister leaned over to the preacher at the gospel meeting, so we'll be careful, he leaks. Because some people, they constantly need revival. It's like every time something comes around, fill my cup, Lord, but we pour out a little bit of that joy and we come back to God asking for a refill. That was not a very kind thing for that sister to say. And sometimes people, they say, well, they're always needing help. You know, it seems like they're always in trouble. He can't keep a job. You know, she had trouble with the first kid. No wonder she's having trouble with the second kid. Have you heard things like this before? That's not conversation to build up the kingdom of God. Instead, we look at each other and with love, we say, I respect you. I'm so glad you're here. We have a lady at our church that's a veterinarian, and she's our vet, actually, for our little Lily. She's going to be a year old in just a couple weeks. We have a little golden doodle. And uh, Ashley, Dr. Ashley, comes in, and she's sometimes in her scrubs. And I told her, I said, you are setting a powerful example for the church. You're on call, and you're here. 
had a firefighter at Gulf Shores would come in in his gear for an hour when he could be sleeping in between his shift and he was in here. And I, people, some people say, well, is it, what are they doing wearing? Some of the kids coming in right after softball game at, at Somerdale. We have kids, these girls come in and sit down on this pew and, they, and they're full of dirt and they are filthy from a softball game. But praise God, they're at church. Amen. And so we've got to look for positive things in people. Amen. And we've got to build up those strengths. We don't run each other down. We don't talk about our brothers and sisters in a negative way. And I'm not saying anything that you don't already know, but this is one of the reasons why the early church grew. They genuinely loved each other. They built each other up and they had respect. Notice it says here, if you're going to have respect with people, you have peace. Let me give you this thought. Romans chapter 13 is one of the best sections of scripture to talk about how to deal with a tyrannical government. Okay? And Paul says to the church there in Rome, he says, you need to respect and honor your leaders. You remember that? Respect and honor your leaders. He's saying, respect Caesar. Honor Caesar. Give, give honor to the king. Now, let me ask you a very simple question, church. Who killed Paul? The Roman government. They chopped his head off. And if Paul could say to the church in Rome, you respect those in authority, and he has enough respect for the authority to go and lay his neck down for his faith, then I suppose I need to also have respect and honor those that are in positions of leadership too. Now, I may not agree with what they do. In fact, right now, I'm not sure I agree with much of anything that a lot of them do. But I'll tell you one thing, I should respect the office for those that are in our military uniforms, we just celebrated our Veterans Day. You know, if it's, if it's also people that are in a, a police uniform, and this is something that we don't teach enough, is to say, see somebody in a uniform and we talk bad about them, people will say things. My kids, I've heard say, oh no, it's a cop, look out, my brother's a cop. And so, in fact, he doesn't like the term cop. That's kind of a, you know, when that's the copper, that's the thing, so he's a police officer. Okay, gotta be, gotta be uh, politically correct. But when you see someone, sometimes our kids are like, oh, well, you know, he's just a guy. He's, he's out to get us. He's, he's coming. He's purposely wanting to ruin my day by giving me a ticket for driving 12 miles over the speed limit. No, you were driving 12 miles over the speed limit. There's a reason why you have to get that ticket. And so we need to have respect for anyone in a position of authority. And when we do that, it will catch on with others. Number six, I hope you got your steel-toed boots on. <coughs> Number six. Do not judge other people. Man, that's a tough one. And I will say that this verse is abused oftentimes. Jesus said, judge not that you be not judged. What judgment you judge, you'll be judged. And with what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. We've heard this, right? Matthew 7. It's also taught in Romans chapter 2 and 1. In fact, Paul does a great job in Romans repeating over and over and over, do not judge, do not condemn, do not judge, do not condemn. Sometimes when we approach people or when we're confused or frustrated about something, our first response is to be able to condemn somebody for doing that. You shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't say that. You shouldn't act like that. And of course, if we're raising children, that's perfectly fine. We should be telling our kids, we don't do this. We don't act like this. So why would Jesus say here, and he says the same thing in Luke chapter 6 and verse 37, do not judge other people. 
The reason why he uses this, now he'll tell them later, you know, you need to judge with righteous judgment. That's kind of teasing the Pharisees a little bit. Oh, you think you can judge better than me? Well, come on up with your righteous judgment. There's none righteous, no, not one. Jesus is the only righteous one, and he's on the throne. So when we begin to look at this text, what does it mean to judge not, that you be not judged? He's saying don't look at things and look at people harshly. Don't judge someone based on their appearance. Some of you may watch these reality programs like The Voice and, and American Idol and these kinds of things where they come in or uh, what is it, America's Got Talent. And the kid comes to the stage or the guy comes to the stage and you think this guy's not going to be able to do it. He's not going to be able to sing. He's not going to be able to. And we judge based on their character, the way they walk up, the way they look, the way their hair's styled, you know. But inside of them may be a talent that is waiting to burst forth. And we are very superficial sometimes. James deals with this. If, if you struggle with being judgmental or critical, which, by the way, is one of those words that they'll use, the world will use in reference to the church. They're critics. They're judges. Hypocrites. When you struggle with that, the best thing to do is read the book of James. Because James says you don't show favoritism. Like, for instance, somebody comes in and they're dressed real nice, and we say, hey, come on up here. You can sit up here. You know? And then somebody comes in who's poor and they're, 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 they don't look very good. And we go, well, you, you know, stay back there. We don't want your dirty shoes on the carpet. James says that's hypocritical. Jesus didn't judge people like that. A leper? Do you know what you would do if you were found to be, uh, if you had leprosy? If you came home and the physician comes and meets you and looks at you and says, I'm sorry, that this spot that I've just investigated is leprosy. You didn't pack a bag. You didn't kiss your wife on the cheek. You didn't hug your kids. You didn't go to your boss and ask for some money. You immediately went to the edge of town where you would sit down on a rock and die. If you had leprosy, you were contagious. You were not allowed to say goodbye to anybody. You were not allowed to interact with anybody. And in fact, once they sent you out to the edge of the seat where there's you know, there's weeping and gnashing of teeth at the edge of the city gates. That idea is, again, leprosy is a disease that you cannot feel. There's a leprosy colony in uh, England at one time. And if you've ever read, uh, Philip Yancey has a, a book on this, and I can't remember the exact title of it. Maybe in Where's God When I'm Hurting, something like that. And he talks about these leper colonies that whenever people will come in at night uh, and then they'll leave, or if they come in for food, they literally count their limbs. Okay, and the reason why they do that is because they will go to these filthy areas and the rats will literally gnaw off their fingers and toes and they can't feel it. They can't feel a thing. If you come down with leprosy in the Bible times, you had to go to the edge of the city and you stayed there and died. If you were able to even get up and move and go somewhere, you had to cover yourself and you had to say, leper, leper, unclean, everywhere you went. Jesus walks up to these guys, and he touches them. He heals them. Jesus' touch in some of the lives of these that he healed, it may have been the first touch they'd had in 20 years, and he touched them. Jesus does the same thing with the woman caught in adultery. He does the same thing with the woman at the well. He sees good in these people. He tells them not to sin anymore. He does that with the woman caught in adultery. But he touches people. He hugs people. He sees people. You know, I wouldn't have seen Zacchaeus. If I had seen Zacchaeus, I probably would have giggled, right? This short little guy climbing a tree, you know, this is, 
It's kind of neat, I guess. Funny. Jesus saw Zacchaeus' soul. Jesus saw people. He really saw people. We have to do that. Don't judge people based on what they look like, what skin color they have, where they grew up, whether they're, you know, Ole Miss or Mississippi State. You don't judge them, you know. Don't judge them if they're from Alabama and they're an Alabama fan. Don't judge people. Sometimes it's just the way we were raised, right? Life is too short for us to turn our ammunition on one another. In the New Testament church, we love each other. We respect each other. We honor each other. We do not judge, condemn, or criticize. If a brother's in a fault, we go to them, try to restore him in a spirit of gentleness, but we don't openly rebuke and condemn and judge. That's what the world needs to see from the New Testament church. That would be refreshing to the world. And number seven, finally, if we want to be like the New Testament church and we want to revive our fellowship, we got to love one another. We've got to love one another. So I, I, do, I do have love. Yeah, but some people you love about that much, you know? Now, wait a minute. Thanksgiving's coming up. Are you going to sit here and tell me you can't wait to see every person coming on Thanksgiving? You can't tell me that there's one cousin you're kind of wishing they worked late that night? You're not, you're not going to tell me that there's, some, there's not somebody at work that you just kind of hope they have an off day or that that person doesn't come into the store and you have to wait on them. We love people, but sometimes we love them about this much, right? We also use the word hate too much. Well, I'll tell you, that hurts. Kids, that hurts when you say to your parents, I hate you. That hurts me. That hurts. We have to learn to love each other. Now, so how do we love each other? Jesus says... If you look at me, you'll see it. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I've loved you, that you also love one another by this. All will know, all will know, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. When they look at the church, you know, if they're driving by, people have no people that worship here and they drive by. Do they say, man, that people that meet there, most loving people I've ever met, the kindest, you know. Aunt so-and-so had a funeral there some time ago, and the people came, and they just loved on us. Now, our kids went to the vacation Bible school up there at that Rocky Creek Church of Christ. Those are some really sweet people. And my kids remembered Bible lessons because of what was taught in there. You know that, that preacher up there? He's a, he's a great man. He's well-known in the community. He's loved. He's coached our kids in the ball team. You see, this is what the community needs to hear about the church. That's one reason why if we love one another on Sunday afternoon, we don't have, you know, uh, what is it, uh, fried elders and scrambled deacons, you know. We don't do that. We don't do that. I was in a restaurant one time, and this was in Gulf Shores, and I was eating dinner, and I, I saw two people from church sitting over there at another table. And uh, there was something going on. I think our youth minister had left, and so they were talking about, you know, what must have happened that the youth minister had to leave I don't hear any of this. I'm enjoying my meal, you know, sitting there. It takes a lot to get me distracted when you put food in front of me. But, so I'm sitting there. And now we're all thinking about food. I'm sitting there at the table and I'm eating and, and they get up to leave. And the uh, waitress was talking to them about what church do you go to? See, the waitress was listening. They made their way to the parking lot. And uh, I saw them, waved. I get to church that Sunday night. And... Uh, one of the men walks up to me and he says, I need to talk to you. My office was right there off the auditorium. I said, sure, 
He said, uh, I guess you saw I was with so-and-so at lunch today. I said, yeah, I saw that. That's great. What's up? So, well, we were saying some things at our table, and uh, it was saying some things about the youth minister that left, and, and we, we even talked about you a little bit. I said, oh, really? Do tell. I wanted to say, well, your waitress is a good friend. I know the whole story, but I didn't. I wasn't quick on my feet that time. But I listened to him, and he said, well, we were saying some things that uh, we shouldn't have said. And he said, and the lady waiting on our table asked us where we went to church. And I know now that what we said and we did was wrong. And we shouldn't have done that. We were just running our mouths. And I said, well, you don't need to make it up to me. I, I didn't hear it. Don't know anything about it. But, you know, you should, you should tell this lady, you know, go back and say, you know, we, were in, we were in a foul mood Sunday after church. Maybe I went over that morning. I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe something happened. Maybe they had the wrong kind of fruit loops. Maybe the milk was soured. I don't know. But for whatever reason, they had a bad uh, experience. And I said, you need to tell this lady, I do love my church, but I'm a human and I struggle too. Uh, when we think about the kingdom, we think about love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus says, if you love me, us as Christians, you keep my commandments. And this command is because the love that we show to one another is what's contagious. He says, this will be why they know you're my disciples. It's not because your car turns in here two times, three times a week. It's not because you have a fish on the back of your car or you wear a youth group t-shirt to school events. That's not how people know that you're a Christian. Jesus says they will know who you are. They will know that you belong to me. They will know that you are my disciples. They will know that you have faith and hope by the love that you show one another. Amen. Amen. You watch those hotel or uh, those uh, visit, visitation rooms at hospitals. And you go in there, somebody has surgery. And you look around that waiting room at a man who's sitting there all by himself. Just sitting there. No family with him. And here we are gathered around a brother or a sister. And we're praying together and we're talking together. You look and see all these lonely people. They don't have church. They got nobody to rely on. I've been called before from the funeral home. Brother Ray, could you do a service tomorrow? I, sure, what time? What's the story? We got a couple, they lived here for 20 years and they never had a church. But most of us have never experienced that before. We wouldn't know what to do. I mean, somebody gets sick in our family, we've got people bringing casseroles over. You know, we, we love each other, right? The world needs to see the love of God in us because we are his hands and feet they're never going to see jesus they won't see him we won't see him until we we see him on high but jesus says i need them to see love in you this is how they'll know that you're my disciples people will know that we're a disciple of christ because we love people regardless of where they come from or what they've done or how much terrible things that they've done because we see ourselves as sinners saved by the grace of God. And the power of Jesus' blood is enough to cleanse us and make us whole. And we shouldn't want to keep that to ourselves. We should want to tell other people about it. So the love of Christ is seen in his church. We're his hands. We're his feet. That's why he has compelled us. He's not going to send us a prophet, church. He's not going to do that. He's not going to send down a whole bunch of apostles and angels to tell us how to do it. He has entrusted us with the gospel 
He has challenged us to be the best possible Christian that we can be, and people will come to Jesus. They won't see Jesus, but they are guaranteed to see you. Rather see a sermon any day than hear one, people need to see a sermon. They need to see it tomorrow. Tonight we offer an invitation. I don't know where you are in your walk with God. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you feel like you've just had some real issues. Maybe, you've, maybe you can look around tonight and say, I've, I've said some things that I need to get off my chest. I need to pray. I need the Lord's forgiveness. Well, we're here. We're, this is a judgment-free zone, I promise you. If you come and you ask for prayer, we'll pray for you and ask God to bring revival into your life and into your family. And if you're not a New Testament Christian, don't you wait. Do not wait. The water's ready. I checked it this morning. I don't know if it's hot or cold, but it's ready to go. And if your heart is ready... And you're ready to come and confess the precious name of Jesus and repent of your sins. We'll help you take the next step and be covered by the blood of Jesus in baptism. If you need to come, come always stand and sing. Thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button to get updates on original content each week. Follow us on social media at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, TikTok, YouTube, and check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com. Also, if you'd like to suggest a topic for an upcoming broadcast, or if you'd like to email me a question, or if you have a prayer request, you can send that to rayreynoldsrap at gmail.com. Have a great day, and may the Lord bless you as you seek to live an authentic life in Christ Jesus. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214.